All right, well, I guess we're just going to start and go right into it. Hannah, welcome to the pod. Appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, so before we start, I am going to... I, I looked you up because, you know, I, I do that. And I'm going to read you off the accomplishments I found about you from the Northwestern website. 2018, first team, all Big Ten. 2016 and 2015, Big Ten Player of the Year. 2016, WCA First Team All-American. 2016, Golf Week Second Team All-American. 2016 and 2015, First Team All-Big Ten. 2015, Big Ten Freshman of the Year. 2016, All-Big Ten. Lowest career scoring average in program history. Lowest single season scoring average in program history. Lowest 18-hole score in program history. Lowest 54-hole score in program history. <laughs> so you can play golf. I've, I've played my entire life, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for people who are just checking in, Hannah is uh, my neighbor. We play golf maybe maybe about once a week, give or take. I have yet to beat Hannah, which is very frustrating for me because my goal in life is to beat Hannah on the golf course. That's a terrible goal, Matt. <laughs> we dream big. <laughs> but you beat my husband, so... That's, that's true. That counts for no, something. <laughs> it doesn't count because you are a legit stick. You play golf. You grew up playing golf. And um, I guess we'll just start there. How young were you when you first started playing golf? Well, my dad is a big, avid golfer, you know, she just hits golf balls. He's terrible, but he loves golf. Um, so I would always go out to him, go out to the golf course with him um, as a kid, and I was drive the golf cart. I was probably as young as like four or five years old, and then I really picked up a club at seven, um, just haphazardly, never took it seriously. And then eight, nine was when I started playing golf tournaments, San Diego Junior Golf Tournaments, and that was when I you know, started winning and started placing. And then um, it kind of took off from there. Um, my parents didn't really expect much, I don't think. But then when I came home with trophies, they were like, oh, shoot, like this girl's got potential. So that's where it kind of all started. So when did you know, at what age did you know that you were a pretty good golfer? Because they didn't start you playing golf. Typically, they start kids at like three, four, five, six now. Yeah. So uh, in my nine ten division, I was winning almost every single golf tournament. And, um, you know, in normal progression, you would move up to the 11-12 division. And my dad was like, 11-12 is way too easy for you. So he moved me up to the 13, 14-year-old girls. So I completely skipped an age division. And um, that was when I kind of sensed, oh, shoot, like maybe I am actually really good. So my first 13, 14-year-old tournament, you know, I placed dead last and then I kind of got comfortable. I started playing better, started winning again, getting top fives, top threes. So that was when I kind of figured I was like, okay, I can, I can keep up with these older girls, but it was very intimidating. Do you wish you started earlier? Um, I don't think so. I don't think I had any interest in golfing. I you know, quite frankly, was more interested in swimming. I really love, I just love being in the water and I just always wanted to be a swimmer. Um, but thank goodness I'm not because I would have, I already have wide shoulders. Could you imagine the shoulder <laughs> that I would have if I actually swam? But um, no, I think, I think the age that I start was, was good. And for context, you grew up in San Diego. 
So obviously swimming is a pretty big thing there. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And so you started junior golf and did you have a swim coach? When did you, when did your parents start like, okay, we're going to invest because junior golf, from my understanding, isn't cheap. No, it's not. <laughs> so when we're like, all right, we're going to throw some money in this. Yeah. I mean, you know, going to golf tournaments is already a big investment. You know, it's definitely not a dollar each. It's definitely a hefty admissions fee or entry fee. Um, in terms of like lessons and, and swing coaches and stuff, you know, I, I really wish I could say I had one consistent coach as a kid, but my parents love to jump around. I think as soon as they didn't like one coach, they just were happy to move on to the next one. But my first swing coach was at nine years old and it was um, you know, one of the older girls' dads. She's six years older than me and she won junior worlds. She, you know, went to go play at Ohio State. Um, and he kind of just kind of taught me the ropes first and then we continued to jump around. But from the beginning, it was a it was a it was an investment. So going to the economics of junior golf, approximately how I think we've had this conversation before. Approximately how much do you think it costs? to and i'm, I'm going to go back a quick step i'm extremely interested in this conversation because i want my daughter to play golf mm -hmm. and you understand that and i told i say it all the time the day my daughter can beat you in golf is the day that she gets a car <laughs> <laughs> right so no pressure to her uh but that's like her milestone that's that, a good that's a good like incentive yeah, she needs to beat me and then she <laughs> needs to beat you you know, hopefully it doesn't happen too fast. And hopefully she beats you before she beats me. But, well, that will be seen. Approximately how much do you think it costs to have like a junior golf career? Yeah, so entry fees were probably talking back then. It was 150 a mm -hmm. pop. Um, now it's probably up to $300 a tournament. You have to play tournaments twice a month. Um so what? That's twenty four tournaments times let's times three hundred, and then you have to travel to the tournaments, right? You have to do a hotel room, depending on how where where it is in vicinity to where you live. Um, you have food, you have um, hotel, you have clothes, you have you know. There's just a lot of things that go into it. Um, I mean, monthly costs, I, I, I can't really break it down for you right now, but it's it's definitely a hefty investment that I, I definitely think is worth the investment, just given the, the longevity of the sport mm. and where it takes you in life and all that stuff. But it's, it's not cheap. <laughs> when you traveled for junior golf, did you travel with your dad, your mom? Yeah, so it, it, it varied. So my parents owned a small business in San Diego. Um, so whoever watched the store was the one not traveling with mm -hmm. me. Um, but it was primarily my dad because my dad um, spoke English more fluently. He traveled, he traveled and planned all my tournaments for me. Um, and he was just the more strict golf dad. Is, is your mom as, because I've played golf with your dad. Uh, he's actually a pretty good golfer. <laughs> that's very nice of you to say does your mom play golf no not at all not at all she doesn't know a single thing about golf nothing even nothing. after all of these years she could tell me what a par is or a birdie she knows what a putter and a driver is but you know 
she there was a time when she tried to correct something in my swing and I was like yeah don't do that. please don't do that <laughs> and, I, and I got in trouble for telling her not to do that so no my mom knows nothing so your mom is not an avid golfer your father is an avid golfer mm-hmm. who did you prefer traveling and spending that golf time with I can totally see you asking this because like Joa, like where is <laughs> who's Joa gonna gravitate towards um I preferred my mom really and that's because my dad was super, super hard on me. Like he was really, really tough on me, Matt. And my mom was nicer and she fed me good food and she made sure that I was still happy even after a good golf, bad golf round. That's the only reason. So when you say he's overbearing, what does that mean? Like how much is too much? Because I need to figure out where that line is. Yeah. Um. My dad... It's, you know, he was a lieutenant in the Korean military. He was just very much so, like, militaristic with my entire upbringing. Um, You know, it went from I was a side sleeper. My dad would come into my room in the middle of of the night and pin my shoulders down, so I became a back sleeper. Sorry, I just moved away from the mic. But that that was, like, one example. Um, Two, he would make me eat weird, like, Korean, like, bear claw stuff I don't know it was just like that stuff was just really weird Uh, but he was also just really he's a yeller he screams he he cussed at me he was just really really tough on me he was such a nice guy when we played so he's he's nice now because I'm not golfing and Uh I'm married and you know I'm (laughs) like away from the sport now but back then I had a terrible relationship with my dad so I hope that's a forewarning to you. I hope you never be like my dad. <laughs> so, so there's a, you can either push too hard, which makes them maybe be more successful. Balancing with not pushing hard enough and maybe letting them become too like relaxed. Where do you think that fine line is? It's tough because my dad was 100% in the mindset of, you know, all gas, no brakes, you know, no, no signs of weakness. That's how the best players are developed, right? But I grew to become a very fearful golfer. My dad compared me to a lot of other golfers who were hitting a lot further than me or had a bit of short game, right? So in my head growing up, I started to compare myself, not just within my golf game, but just as a woman growing up and going through my teen, teenage years throughout college. Um, And then it's so funny because I had friends who had parents who were very lax, who didn't care as long as they were having fun and, you know, getting exercise. That's all that mattered. And they envied how my dad was really strict on me, whereas I envied them. Um, But they still turned out to be really good golfers. And I think it's honestly just comes from willpower. And I think willpower is developed in other ways. And it doesn't come from the dad yelling at you. (laughs) But were they as successful in their career as you were? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, a lot of girls who played at Stanford or um, UCLA, USC, of course, they had strict parents, but they also had a more social life than I did. Um, I, I would say that they were more successful just just from the pure level of college, you know, caliber in terms of golf. Right. So. So if I were to get my daughter into golf, you think I should not push it because you said something which just totally threw me off. Sometimes I'll walk, I'll go in her room and she's sleeping on her side and I'll put her on her back. 
fuck, should I not do that? that that's literally <laughs> what my dad did to me, Matt. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, I don't want her to sleep on her head. What if her one side of the head gets like flat or something? I don't know. So I'm like putting on her back, you know, and I'll move her. And I'm like, fuck. Like, that's not a good thing? No, I mean, it's a great thing. As she's, she's an infant. She's seven months old, eight months old. But my dad did this when I was like a teenager. Okay. Like, I mean, that's that's a bit extreme, right? Like, we're, if it, I don't know. He's, he's, he was very in his own ways. But, um, you know, when Eric and I, my husband and I want, we, we definitely want to have children. Mm-hmm. And we definitely want our children to play golf. We're right on the same boat as you, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, we totally see the investment in golf and all the great privileges that you get from it. You get to see really cool spots in the world, meet really cool people. Um, but Eric grew up very different from me. Mm. He is a white male who grew up with very nice parents. I'm not saying that my parents aren't nice, but they're very much so Korean tiger parents, yeah. right? So um, Eric, even just like the way we're training our dog, he's, he sees me being really strict with my, mm. with our dog. She's a puppy. She's like 10 pounds. Callie's super cute. She's very <laughs> cute. Whereas Eric is is very soft and really nice. She doesn't even listen to him because like he's way too nice. Yeah. And we were talking about just how our parenting styles are going to be, especially if we want to raise a child who's going to golf. And he said, well, Hannah, if you raise your voice at her child because they didn't play good golf, then that's going to become a problem. So we got to nip that in the butt earlier, like sooner than later. But I was like, well, I don't want to raise snowflakes either. You know, <laughs> I don't want to raise a, like a weak a weak child who's yeah. going to just, you know, I, that's, but then I like also talk to my inner child. I'm like, would my inner child be okay with that? <laughs> I don't know. So there is definitely a balance with everything. It's odd because, you know, being immigrant, being kids of immigrants, we are raised a certain way and we are, we are almost resentful of the way that we're raised yeah. at the same time, given the opportunity, mm-hmm. we do almost the same exact thing. Yeah. And you will probably definitely be a tiger mom because oh gosh, because I remember when, you know, your husband, Eric and I, we play, um, we have our ongoing match play. We've been doing it for almost a year now Yeah, where we play nine hole match play and we're, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 matches deep. And at one point I was up by like five or six and you told him, I am not going to play with you again until you beat Matt. (laughs) That's true. I will not deny that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know and we officially this weekend we tied and now we're even so if, i don't know how many matches we played but we are all square and uh that's really frustrating to me because i haven't been playing or practicing and i'm gonna blame my daughter um <laughs> because that's why my game is rusty <laughs> uh, or like, we're just coming out of the winter time yeah, the sure, course sure. hasn't been in good condition <laughs> that too that too <laughs> um but we end up kind of being the way that our parents are and uh, as much as we don't want to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I had lunch with my mom yesterday and she was like, I need to yell at your dad for him to listen to me. And I'm like, oh, shit, I, I do the same exact thing. <laughs> I yell at Eric because he doesn't listen to me. Uh-huh. And, you know, growing up, I, you know, my, my parents' marriage is fine. But, you know, I, I definitely wanted it to be different than, you know, in my current marriage and hopefully my forever marriage with Eric but yeah my it's it's tough because you're you're so ingrained in thinking and acting a certain way so 
we'll see how how raising our children to play golf is going to turn out to be. I I struggle with that idea because I'm I'm thinking as soon as she can stand, she could be putting, right? That's what I think. Yeah, I remember you saying that. <laughs> and I could told we we li- literally live across the street from the golf course, so it's very possible to be done. And I want to start her. I want to get her putting and chipping very early. Uh, get comfortable with being out there understand kind of the social implications of being out there, get comfortable being out there. And hopefully, I don't know, how early is it to start teaching her to play golf? I would probably do the same thing, Matt. As soon as my child were to walk, I would give them a little plastic putter and just get them putting. Yeah, just get them putting. I would do the same exact thing. Um, So it's not too early. I don't think it's too early. So I know you asked me earlier, like, hey, do you think when you started was a good time? Like, I think it's fine for me because, you know, now now that I'm looking back, I, I turned out to be OK. But, um, you know, I think it's really good for motor, fine, fine motor skills, athleticism, balance. So start them young. Start it as soon as you can walk, stand. <laughs> because some kids start tournament golf at like five six now yeah six six and under division yeah that's really young yeah and you you actually if i'm correct you won the drive pitch and putt yeah the drive chip and putt as uh, a nine ten year old before it was at augusta national before it got really cool uh-huh. yeah <laughs> that was it still a national yeah it was in orlando florida um and my dad said that if i won the champ, the the champion, the championship, the competition. He would take me to Disney World, and I was like, okay, that's my goal, that's my intentions, and I won, and he finally took me. Um, but it was, I, I think, if you start them young, you got to make it fun. So, like after a golf tournament, it's a hot. You're probably going to be taking them to tournaments during the summertime, so it's going to be hot. So take them out to ice cream, give them an, an incentive. I don't know what it is. Make it fun. Um, after that drive chip and putt, that was when my dad realized I was good and fun was taken away from me. It was done. Uh-huh. Disney World was the last fun thing that I did in my golf childhood <laughs> career, whatever you want to call it, but make it fun for sure. So is of all the little incentives, because you mentioned to me before that your parents would give little incentives when you win. Yeah. Was that the most memorable one? I would say so. Yeah. And then... Um, you, you can see me without my headphones, but, you know, I have a lot of piercings mm. and that was like my high school phase, right, where I really wanted more and more piercings. So my mom would always say, OK, well, if you get top three, top two, if you win this tournament, I'll let you get a piercing. Like, OK, OK, OK. And that works. And it works. Because it seems like such a small. I know. I know. That's how strict my parents were. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, hey, you can you have eight piercings, but you can get your ninth if you win. <laughs> yeah. It was just small things like that because it's something that I really wanted. And, you know, I was also underage so that they needed to sign for it. Mm. So I needed their permission. So that was something that I I definitely worked hard for. So then in high school, how much school did you go to versus how much golf did you play? Yeah, so... um, my school is actually a year-round school, so hmm. the traditional... What is that? So it's, we go to school even throughout the summer. Okay. So traditional schools, you start in September, and then you end in, in May, June, and then you have like a three-month summer-long vacation, right? My school, um, we started in June, and we went until May, but we had more frequent breaks in between. Hmm. Um, 
And before we moved to the year-round school, my parents were considering, oh, shoot, well, if she's doing year-round school, it's going to be really challenging for her to balance golf and school at the same time. So we were considering to take me back to a traditional school that was out of our county, a 30-minute drive. They were really about to go to that extreme, but we ended up not doing that. Um, but still went to school as, as I normally would, 7.45 to 3, and then from 3.30 to six o'clock I would just be at the range or at the golf course really grinding it out and of course I missed a lot of school because of my golf tournaments mm. and how much I had to travel but it's high school no one really cares about grades anyways <laughs> <laughs> but you ended up going to a very good university mm -hmm. which I want to get to but first I want to ask how much practice did you have to do when you were young and what was your practice regimen like yeah so like I mentioned earlier from three to six, I would practice three hours a day, um, hour putting, hour chipping, hour at the range. And then with the remaining daylight that I had left, go, go play a few holes. That was really my, my regiment. Um, it, it's funny because when I was taking a lot of AP classes in high school and I remember whenever I had a big project or a big test, I was like, the happiest I would be because that meant I could cut my practice shorter <laughs> be like oh dad I need to go study I need to do I need to do really well on this test but um yeah it was always three hours a day and it was seven days a week I never got an off day did he kind of stand there while you practiced were you off on your own what no. was your practice kind of like he he sat there and watched me all three hours every single putt every single chip every single ball off the range wow it was suffocating for sure. <laughs> do, you, do you think that was helpful or hurtful looking back now? It was hurtful. Um, you know, it, I I also just remember this, but whenever he went to the bathroom, I would grab the range balls and just toss them out. Cause I just want, I didn't want to, I, I don't want to be there anymore. Yeah, and, yeah. um, you know, I just really hated how it was so micromanaging. My dad would nag me with the smallest little detail in my putting with my chipping. Yes. It, it, made me a very meticulous golfer and it really set me up for success in college and, and so on and so forth. But, um, I think for like my mental sanity, it really drove me up the wall. Just having my dad there 24 seven. I wish he just would have like, would have just given me the trust and the enjoyment to just go out in the golf course and just really have fun. Do you think you would have practiced as hard if he didn't push you? I think there's, um, I'm all about quality over quantity. Um, so three hours, seven days a week was a lot, is a lot. That's for young person, for a, for a young person from middle school to from sixth grade to 12th grade until I was a senior. Right. So, um, I found myself by hour three, I was just Dumb. going through the motions. I yeah. was like mentally checked out. I wanted to go home. I, I needed to get homework done. Um, and I felt like I didn't get a good practice out of it. Just looking back now, I'd rather just have a really good one hour session, two hour session and call it a day. Right. Or do intervals of two hours, one, two, one hours to kind of spice it up a little bit. But um, it was a lot and I wish it was shorter. <laughs> then how did you balance kind of the practice golf slash social life? I didn't have a social life. None. None. Like no parties, no hanging with friends, no chasing boys. No, none of that. None of that. No, I, the last birthday I had as a kid was when I was seven years old. You didn't even have your own birthday parties. 
it, that, that was my last own birthday party. Whoa. Yeah. And I never was allowed to go to my friend's birthday parties until I got a little older when I was able to drive myself. But that was like home by nine o'clock. Right. And you got to sleep. You got to do your homework. Right. You got to. And I would be done by I would be done with practice. At, I would come home from practice at 630, shower, get changed, get to my friends by seven. I had two hours to really enjoy the party. And then I had to come back home. But my social life really lacked in, in just growing up with golf and I wish that was different you had golf friends though a lot of golf friends yeah but they were all in LA Orange County because I was where the golf powerhouses San Diego um, I lived in the southern tip of San Diego so Chula Vista it's practically Mexico um, and as you know golf is a very wealthy sport and all of my friends were in the wealthier parts of San Diego so Del Mar Rancho Santa Fe La Jolla area um, so if, even if I were to talk to them, it would be over MySpace or like text <laughs> message, right? Like it wasn't anything in person, yeah. but it was all virtual. Which golf course did you grow up playing at? What was your home course? Um, Salt Creek Golf Club. Uh, it lo- no longer exists. Mm. So um, I think there's just new houses on that property now. But that was my home course. And you spent 21 hours a week yeah. there for six, seven years. When was the crazy. last time you got to play it? Um, sophomore year in college, um, I was back home for winter break and, um, I I would always just practice there during my breaks anyways, but that was the last time I was there. And then junior year in college, I just stayed in Chicago and then I haven't been back since. So, so you ended up going to Northwestern and we started this podcast by going through all of your accomplishments in your college career. First, why Chicago and Northwestern over somewhere else? Because you were extremely accomplished junior golfer. I'm sure there were other schools you could have gone to. Yeah. Um, So I guess to take a step back, the colleges that I was looking at were primarily Pac-12. So UCLA, USC, Stanford. Um, I was looking at schools in in Texas, like Texas A&M, Baylor, um, and then a couple of East Coast schools like Boston College, um, Florida, right? But I really, my number one goal was to get out of San Diego as far away from my parents as possible. That was my number one thing. I was like, I need to get out of San Diego. And that it's so crazy because now um, Eric and I want to go back to San Diego and live there. But, you know, it's my, my, my childish thoughts just wanted to get away from my parents. Um, that was number one. Number two, San Diego, as I said earlier, it's beautiful climate, perfect temperatures all year round. I really wanted to experience snow and like fall foliage and leaves falling off. Not the best idea, but okay. Oh, it was a stupid (laughs) idea. I hated Chicago winters. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, That was number two. And then um, number three was the academics. So I had, I I got really good grades um, all throughout my, you know, young middle school, high school academic career. Um, I wasn't good enough for golf to go to Stanford. Um, I also wasn't smart enough to go to Harvard. <laughs> so I was like, okay, Northwestern's a good in between, right? It's still a good golf, a golf team, a developing golf team. It was top 20 when I went to school there, but academics was top 10. Of course. Um, so that was the number, those three reasons were why I, I chose North, Northwestern. Um, but my dad had a really interesting philosophy. He was like, well, 
if you're going to go to school, go to Ivy League, right? Go to Ivy League. Forget about golf. Just go to school. Um, you can really? still play on the golf team, uh-huh. but obviously those are D3 schools. You're not even going to get a scholarship. Like it's all academics or just go to a completely golf school. So ASU, go to ASU, golf there. Who cares about academics? You can do whatever you want, but just focus on golf. So my dad had that school thought. I didn't want to go to either one of them. I didn't really want to go to ASU. It's a party school. I freaking hate Arizona. No offense to if you have any <laughs> listeners in Arizona. Um, you know, I also didn't want to go to Harvard because I also wasn't that smart. So Northwestern was truly that that happy medium of academics and athletics. Do you do you are you happy that you went to Northwestern or do you regret going there because it's cold or no? <laughs> No, I I have no regrets going to Northwestern. It was the best decision I could ever make. Um, Moving away from home was my biggest um, growing moment. It was a big growing pain, um, but it was really good for me. So I'm the youngest in my family. I was always very sheltered, right? Parents who never took their eyes off of me. So just being... 6,000 miles away from them was just really good for me, just in my developmental, social life and everything. Um, so there are people listening to this right now going, she makes her parents sound like so overbearing and low-key horrible, but she turned out great. <laughs> so like maybe what they did was right. I mean, now we live 10 minutes away from my parents, which <laughs> yeah. is crazy. Um, you know, so, you know they you. you you made it sound like they pushed you away and they worked you too hard, but then you ended up graduating from Northwestern. You had a successful college career. You came back to live closer to them. So from like the bigger picture view, like they kind of crushed it. I guess you can say that. <laughs> right? I mean, they're great parents. They yeah, really like your dad's patting himself on the back. Yeah, like, good job. <laughs> for sure. No, they did it. They did the best they could. And um, again, this is just me being really nitpicky on their on their parenting skills. I would do things very differently, but that's what every parent to be would say, right? That's what you would say to yourself as you raise Joa. Um, but no, I th- my parents did the best that they could, and I think again, me moving away from them really made gave me time to reflect on on everything that I went through. So I didn't talk to my dad for two years in college. Really? I didn't call him. I didn't text him. Oh, just the thought of my daughter knew that me like breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so know? imagine how much that broke my dad's heart. <sighs> and I still have a shaky relationship with mm. my dad. It's not like we're butting heads right now, but I just not as close. I um, definitely extend the olive branch to my dad. Um, now that I'm older and I see my dad getting older, it, I definitely have a soft spot for my parents there. Um, but, you know, I, just that time away really made me just reflect and be really thankful for my parents. And, you know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So it's it's really just that reflection and that ability to, you know, be thankful. I Maturing? Think. I guess so. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's the word, maturing. Yeah. But I, from all of that, um, for... For you, Matt, and all your listeners, if you guys have kids, make sure you send them far, far away because no. they're always going to come back. I, I, they're I, always going to come back. I, I, my daughter cannot understand me yet, but I tell her every day, keep room in, the, keep room in your basement for me because I'm moving in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, you have to let her. It's, 
No, I can't. You it, have it, to. Just the thought of it is like, I know, oh, I bet. Breaks my heart already. I know. But I, I told Eric, I said, if we have kids, I'm going to, I don't want them to go to Georgia Tech. I don't want them to go to UGA. I don't want to go. I don't want them to go to any school in Georgia. Send them to Stanford. Move away as far as you want. Um, enjoy life. Experience a different city. We'll always be here. You can come whenever you want. And I think that makes it even more like incentivizing for them to come back. So college golf, it is a big adjustment from junior golf and playing individual golf only to all of a sudden playing team golf. It's not the same game. What is that adjustment like? Um, so it was a really hard adjustment for me, freshman golf. Um, I came onto the team with a chip on my shoulder. I said I was going to be number one. These teammates aren't my friends. They're my foes. They're my competitors. Really? I was really outcasted in my fr- my freshman year because I had that mentality. I didn't want to party with my teammates. I didn't want to go out to dinner with them. And it was really isolating. It was really lonely. Um, but that was just a really terrible mindset for my mental health, for my my golf game, right? It was very – it was just isolating. That's the best way I could put it. Um but it was a big adjustment because you're golfing for yourself your entire life and then now you're golfing for a team. But even if you're golfing for a team, you're still golfing for yourself. Um, now every stroke helps and matters because it goes to your overall team score. But um, you know you still have to play your best golf game out there. Whether your teammate is playing good or bad, you still have to focus on your game. So it wasn't a terrible adjustment. Um, you just have to shift your mindset into thinking, okay, well, I got to give it my all. And if I miss this putt, it's not a big deal, but I, I gave it my hundred percent. And, you know, I ho- hopefully my other teammates made their putts and we should be okay. So in the team game, their, their scores matter too. And you were probably the top player on that team for probably your entire college career. How much did it, rub you the wrong way or piss you off or did it matter when your teammates didn't perform? It didn't bother me at all hmm. because it really, I mean, again, I, I have no control over that. Um, and honestly, if they played bad, then it makes me look good. And I, that sounds so, you know, in, <laughs> entitled and very selfish, but that's just how it, kind of is in the college world, right? Even though your teammates, again, you're still golfing for yourself and you still get individual rankings in college. Um, so it, it really didn't bother me. So how much of a actual collaborative teamwork slash team environment is there on a golf team in college? I mean, there's definitely a sense of camaraderie for sure. Cause when it comes to conference championships, so for Northwestern, it's big 10, right? Our biggest rival was always Ohio state. Yeah. Um, you know, that was where we really came together as a team, um, and, and really made my team, my, my coach did a really great job making sure that we, you know, invested in a really good team atmosphere. Um, but you know, it, I think those bigger championship level games were what was when, you know, the team component was, was much stronger than, you know, preseason tournaments or spring tournaments, right? Cause I think those bigger tournaments is, is what brings the accolades to the university versus yourself. Did you enjoy the college golf, the team aspect more, or the individual playing more? 
I loved college because everything was paid for. Mm. Like we had really good food. <laughs> um, we got really great workout facilities. We got everything was free swag. I love that about the team um, or being on a team. Um, turning pro and not being in a team atmosphere and not having coaches plan your itinerary and book your flights. That was when I hated it. That was when I was like, oh, shoot, this is not what I want. This is not enjoyable. So when I turned pro, that was when I really learned to appreciate my teammates even more. And I got closer to them actually post-college because I was like, oh, shoot, I should have been nicer to you <laughs> when I was in college. Yeah. So listeners, like, make sure you're nice to your teammates. <laughs> it's always easier when you look back. I know. You know, it really is. Then in college, how do you balance? Because we've talked about balancing work, life social in junior golf what is that like in college and how much of a difference is it yeah so um for me I always thought I was going to turn pro and be a pro for the rest of my life so my college life I wouldn't say is the most accurate for the vast majority of other college golfers or any other college athletes so my whole schedule and curriculum was based on me focusing 110% of my attention to golf. So even after classes, go straight to the golf course, say after the golf course, I would go work out, come back home, study, read. So it, it wasn't much different from high school. Just uh, a different environment. Just a different environment. But I took ownership of it versus my dad prowling over me. Right. So, um, you know, just, I think just being able to, um, you know, just really take ownership of that and, and really, I guess just for me being as a professional golfer, I think that was what really shifted my mindset. If I wasn't planning to turn pro, I think I would have went out more and had more fun. And again, looking back, I really wish I did have more fun <laughs> and I did go to more parties because clearly I'm not a professional golfer anymore. Um, so it, I think it just depends on what you want after college golf. Um, but then I also know a lot of pro golfers now who still partied in college. So there's just a different way of handling things. I just didn't know any better. This is all I knew from high school and junior golf. I, all I ever knew was to put 110% of my time and energy into golf, and that was it. If I had been given a social life in high school and maybe if my parents let me go to parties or – go to celebrations, maybe I would have enjoyed that more in college. But even to this day, I don't even really love going out to parties and stuff. But you know what I mean? It's it's just my it's like just my mindset at this point. Do you, do you think your parents kind of built that into you or that's kind of naturally how you were and they were pushing that? Because like I'm, I watch my daughter and I have an idea of like her personality. Um, I mean, she's really young, but I can get a feel of what she's going to be like, things are going to interest her, what's going to motivate her. So you would assume that your parents had that same feeling when you were really young. This is what drives her, that she works well under this type of pressure and this environment, which is maybe why they did it versus they did it and then you became that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, it's like nurture versus nature, right? It's like, is it, the, is, is it the environment that you grew up in that made you that way? Or is it really just the way that you were born? Did they create that environment because they thought you were naturally a certain way? Um, I don't know. Um, like maybe he'd wanted to be, maybe they wanted to let you go to more parties and 
they're like, no, that's exactly <laughs> for a fact. They did not let me do anything. Um, I mean, I guess right now, you know, like I, I enjoy going out. I enjoy, you know, drinking and, and meeting friends and, you know, having a fun social life. Um, so I honestly, just from my personal experience, I think it's just the way my parents grew up. They didn't know any better either. And they had this mindset of, we need to do it this way. We got to do it like Paxetti's dad did yeah. to her, right? Uh-huh. This is like the recipe for success. So we have to replicate it for Hannah. Um, so if, if they didn't do that, I think I'd be a much fun person today. Like, <laughs> I enjoy playing golf with you. I think you're a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so in college golf, then you spend a lot of your time focused on practicing and improving your game. Do you think the university could have done a better job of maybe pushing you to be more balanced? You know, they always said um, at Northwestern, you're always a student before you're, you're an athlete, right? That's why you're called a student athlete. Um, so make they sure say that. they say that <laughs> they say that, um, you know, I think, of course, universities have um get money if you're if their teams do well right so there are definitely times when we felt like okay well we're just another name on a spreadsheet we're we're, we're really here to just make build re- revenue for the school notoriety we're here to build donor relationships right that's that's what it felt like sometimes but I think that's part of the job as a student athlete you know I, I didn't pay a single penny to go to Northwestern and I felt like that was like the least I could do was at least give my time and investment into being a really good athlete. So how many of these donor events or donor tournaments did you have to play? Did you have to play in like, yeah, tournaments and play golf with donors? Yeah. So every fall um, before school season started or academic season started, we had a big donor golf tournament. So all of the wealthiest you know, businessmen in Chicago would come to this tournament. All the Northwestern alumni. All the Northwestern alum. And it was really a time to schmooze them and, and really, you know, if they hit a bad shot, compliment them and be like, it's okay. You know, next shot's going to be, you know, it's like, I don't want to call it fake talk because we genuinely really had a good time with them. But it was a lot of, you know, making them feel good so that they could, you know, donate to us afterwards. And it was. How did that make you feel? Because that doesn't seem that awesome. Yeah, I mean, a couple of my teammates would always say, I feel like they're, what is it, um, whoring us out or like pimping us out, right? Because it's like, you know, they're they're sending us off to do the work so that they can get the money. Um, I didn't think of it that way. Again, it's, it's just a different mindset that you have to put into it. Um, Did the guys golf team have to do the same thing? Yeah, it was a guys. Just as much or more or? Just as much, yeah. Mm. So, um I didn't feel that way. I felt like it was a really great way for me to build a network. I got my current job from from this tournament, okay. from this donor relationship, okay. you know, fundraising tournament, right? So there's like legitimate value there. Yeah, so much value. Um, so it's it's a great networking opportunity. You get to meet high net worth people. You get to, it, I think it's an overall really good experience. But, you know, again, I had a few teammates that were like, oh, you know, they're just pawning us off and, you know, making sure that they get the money and we don't. I'm like, well, you got an education, so be thankful. (laughs) Okay. So in playing with these guys, you've seen a lot of bad golf. I have, yes. What what makes a bad golfer? (laughs) 
And don't talk about me yet. No, we'll you, talk about me later. Matt's not a bad golfer. <laughs> oh, um, thank you. And that's really you're really not Matt. If you can be Eric, you're really not a bad golfer. <laughs> um, I I've just seen really weird quirks on the golf uh-huh. like for from bad golfers like there was one guy who had um like a weird setup over the putter like he he didn't know when to putt he would like step back and forth who's that professional golfer that used to keegan keegan bradley used yeah. to do that or he used to shuffle where he used to shuffle yeah. so i saw one of that and it's like he would sit be over the ball for five minutes and he would still miss the putt or it would go 10 yards past the hole um, I think that makes a bad golfer is like, you know, at least be fast. If you're slow and you're bad, that makes you even hundred times worse. But if you're just bad, but you're a fast golfer, I'll play with you. Because you're a very fast golfer. I am a very fast golfer. You take very little time. I don't even do practice swings anymore. You're just <laughs> there and you hit the ball and you're already gone. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like we got to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we got to keep up with Hannah. Yeah. She's already down the fairway. Yeah. And you're always in the fairway. I mean, I, I, again, I golf my entire life. So if, <laughs> if I'm not, al- it's concerning. <laughs> you're always in the fairway. And, you know, you, you play the same tees as the guys do when we play. And so typically you'll hit first and you hit your shot and you're already greenside and we're like lining our shots. Yeah. <laughs> you're already gone. I know. And I think that's, that's college golf for you. College golf is all about speed. Mm. Um, not speed, but it's pace of play, right? There's a lot of girls on the course at once. We don't want, we don't like six hour rounds. We also don't like five hour rounds. So let's keep it to four. Junior golf in high school, AJGA is one of the golf associations you're probably probably going to put Joa through, but they have time cards. Every three holes, they have time cards if you're on pace of play. So it's it's been ingrained in me since I was a kid to just be a fast golfer. If they push Fast play in junior golf in college. Why are the pros? Why are the LPGA girls so damn slow? Maybe it's because they're really slow. Money's on the line. They're really slow. Yeah, I don't know. I I couldn't tell yet. I mean, I've played with really slow golfers too. I think it's because it's their livelihood. Might as well take your time. Take your time. Put all the energy into that putt or to your swing, whatever it is. All power to you, but that's not me. But if you're raised and you've spent your entire early career playing fast golf, it must feel so slow when you play a five-hour round. Like a five-hour round, there's nothing worse for me than a five-hour round. Yeah. It's like after four and a half hours, I don't even want to be out there anymore. It's too long. Yeah. So it's interesting because maybe the only slow golfers that I've really seen, at least on the woman's side, are the international girls. So it's never the Americans. I think the Americans are, again... They've done it their entire life. So you they're watch fast. Nelly play. She's there, hits the ball, and she's Michelle down the Michelle Lee is done in a second, too. Like, really? She's a very fast golfer. Mm. But um, it's all the European, the, the Korean, the Japanese players who are typically slow. For for the men's side, I mean, I know um, Patrick Cantley is notoriously slow. Watching him <laughs> at the Masters was, like, miserable. And I don't know why he's slow. Um... I, I couldn't tell you. Maybe he wasn't. Didn't play. He I, didn't play junior golf. I don't know. I mean, I think he played at UCLA, so I don't know why he would ever be slow. But um, I know Victor Hovland's slow too. But I can see the Swedish. international golfers <laughs> being slow because they play golf with caddies growing up. Yeah. Whereas the junior golfers here carry your own bags. Mm-hmm. You learn how to read your own putts. There's very little cat. Even 
even the kids that grew up in the expensive country clubs still do their own golfing mostly. Yeah. Internationally, especially in Asia, mm-hmm. it's all caddies. Caddies do everything yeah. for you. Maybe that's and in Korea, like five hour, six hour round of golf is like normal, which yeah. is that's crazy. Forget about it. No I, I don't even know how you can do that. No, I would never do that. How can you focus for so long? But that's how they're raised. Maybe that's why. I don't know. I think that I think that's a good theory. I think it's because we're just so ingrained and non-Americans aren't. <laughs> so you had a very successful college career. What do you think your highlight moment is in college? Um, I think it was getting runner-up um, as a team at the NCAA championships. Um, this was at Rich Harvest Farms in um, middle of nowhere, Illinois. I think it was Sugar Grove, Illinois, right next to Northern Illinois University. Um, and we were in the final match against ASU, and we were so close to beating them. You know, And it was just so cool to have – all the fans, because it was in Illinois, so it was like an hour drive from Chicago from campus. So we had purple everywhere, which was really cool to see. Just having a really strong fan base there, I think, made the whole experience worth it. Um, and it, I, I bet it's surprising to you because it's a team. It, it was a team effort, right? So I think that was the most team esque I've ever felt in any college experience memory. Because that was before they were playing the national championship on Golf Channel. That was probably the second year that it was airing on the Golf Channel. Um, so, Because there's a lot of college golf on TV these days. Yeah. So it was like probably the second year. So freshman year in 2015, that was when we were still doing traditional stroke play all four days. And then that's how you would, you know, get your your place and then starting from sophomore year from 2016 and on 2015 and onwards it's been um top eight make it to match play everyone else gets eliminated and it goes head to head for everyone so it's like march madness style do you like stroke play better or match play better um that's a good question um i i think i'm a stronger stroke player just because you're more consistent i'm more consistent match play I unconsciously go for putts that I normally wouldn't go for putts because it's either I make it and I and I win or tie the hole or I lose, right? So I see myself taking more aggressive, like more aggressive shots and putts with match play. So I think stroke for me. Lowest round ever. Sixty-three in Miami. So Coral Gables, Miami tournament. Um, 63. 63. Yeah. I was shooting lights out. It was crazy. I mean, that's the 63. That's a big number. It was crazy. I don't... Low number, however you want It was an out-of-body experience. Uh I don't know (laughs) what was going on, but it was just one of those days where you just felt like everything was going to go in. It was just... It's a feeling I can't even describe. Par 72? 71. 71. Mm -hmm. So eight under. Yep. Eight birdies? I think so. I think I had a bogeyless round. Just birdie, birdie, birdie. Every other hole. Birdied every other hole. Yeah. It's crazy. What does that feel like? I've I've never broken 70. <laughs> so I have no idea what that feeling is. I think if I ever 
shot a 69 or something, I would frame the ball yeah. because that may be the only time in my life I would do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like, have you ever sit over a ball and you're like, okay, this is going to go in like uh-huh. in a putt. Have you ever felt that? Yeah. But usually I miss. Okay. <laughs> All right. So maybe it's not your gut telling you, maybe that's just your head saying you're going to make this. No, it, it's, it's a really weird feeling. It's the hole even looks bigger to you uh-huh. on those days. Like, Everything is clicking. My coach in high school and even to my college career, he said, if it's your day, it's your day. Yeah. Like if it's if it's your time to win, you're going to win it. Um, so whenever I'm watching like the golf channel and I see the girls and guys play, I'm like, if it's if it's his time, it's his time. He'll win it. So I was quite frankly rooting for Brooks Kepka yeah. to win the Masters. And I was like, it's just not his time. It's yeah. it's John Rahm's time. Yeah. Right. So it's it's just all kind of falls into place. I was rooting for Brooks Kepka for the Masters also, just because I wanted to see the chaos, right? To see a live golf golfer win that event in that setting with that type of news all around, I just wanted to see like the golf world turn upside down because that's what would happen if he won. Yeah, that wasn't the reason for me. Um, that <laughs> you was, just like Brooks Kepka. N- no, I didn't like him until after I watched the Netflix documentary. I felt like he is a lot more soft of a person than he portrays you thought he was kind of a douche and then you kind of the show humanized right exactly (laughs) i thought he was an absolute asshole but he's actually like a real human being and i felt like he was just really insecure as a golfer after his two back-to-back u.s open wins i think he had a lot of pressure and he wasn't performing as well and i was like dude i i feel that i get it i could really relate to that it's like his self-esteem was completely shot. He had the most beautiful wife in the entire world and he still was just depressed. And I was like, dude, I feel that. It's like you can have all the winnings in the world and you can still feel like shit. Because if you're built to win and you want to win and you're not winning, everything else almost doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a really terrible feeling. So I get why he moved to live for the money, of course, but play freely I guess and I think that's why he played so well at the Masters because he was t- that pressure was taken off of him he's, he's like been, he's been playing really well these days yeah he looks happier yeah I think he's happier that's why I was rooting for him not to, not to bring chaos <laughs> I wanted to see the chaos I like the chaos okay so college ends and you turned pro yeah walk me through the, the, the decision there Yeah. So, um, my dad said that if I, I had to be top 10 in college, individual college rankings in order for me to consider going pro. Um, so that was, that was definitely achievable for me because I think my college ranking was like eight at the time. And I was like, okay, I, I, I did it. I I'm top 10 in the whole entire country. You know, I can keep up with these girls. So, um, Senior year was when I made the decision. Okay, I'm going to go pro after I graduate in 2018. I'm going to go to Q school. I'm going to do the whole shebang. It's, it's, it's me time, right? So, um, but senior year, I actually saw myself, my, my golf game completely plummet because of that pressure of, holy shoot, if I don't make this putt, I, I don't even deserve to go pro, yeah. right? It was like this weird unconscious um just narrative that I was playing in my head of, you know, shoot, if I don't play well, I, I'm not going to make it out there on tour. So I saw my golf game plummet senior year. So at the end of my senior year, I was like, is this for me? I sat down with my coach and I was like, I don't think I'm capable enough to do this. 
But if there was anyone else who believed me other than my parents, it was my coach, my head golf coach at Northwestern. And she was like, you are so built for this. This is totally going to be your career. You got this. So that was what really pushed me to take that leap of faith to put in my $5,000 entry fee to Q school and and give it a try. Do you think that pressure was yourself? You think it was a culmination of kind of all the environmental factors? I mean, where did that pressure really feel like you came or was it your parents? Did they put too much pressure on you? What do you think it really was? Definitely my parents. So um, just for some background, you know, I, I didn't come from a very wealthy family. My parents owned a 99 cent store in Chula Vista. So, you know, we were definitely paycheck to paycheck. That I think that's why they were even harder on me because they were really like trying to make ends meet, trying to send me out to golf tournaments, made sure I got the best education. So I think that's where the pressure came from. Big investment on their part. Huge investment. And I think that's where now, you know, I finally understand them as just from an older adult now. Um, but the pressure definitely came from my parents. I swore my parents saw me as their meal ticket and I was willing to be the meal ticket for them because I really wanted to be successful in the LPGA, buy them that nice house, you know, give them everything in return that they gave for me and sacrifice as I was growing up. Um, but that pressure was for my parents and also just for myself, right? I'm a perfectionist. Um, I had such a successful college career. Why not take it to the big league? Um, and then when I wasn't performing well, that was where it really depleted my self-esteem and, and really took a hard toll on everything. What was difficult about the transition? Just being on my own and having to plan everything myself. I'm, I'm normally a really good planner, but when it comes to money in terms of you know, entry fee, hotel, rental car, flights, food. It felt like junior golf all over again, but my dad wasn't there to help me and my coaches weren't there to help me from college. It was all on my own. Um, and I was my own budgeter. I had to account for everything. And, you know, women's golf doesn't pay as much. And I had to use the money that you know my head golf coach actually let me borrow she actually gave me some money because my parents weren't able to do that so there was a lot of vulnerabilities right from the get-go as soon as I stepped off stepped um graduated from school um I was all on my own financially my parents weren't there to help me so that was like the biggest stressor for me so you did one year on the Epson tour two years um one year one year Approximately how much do you think it costs to play golf professionally at that level? Yeah, so Epson green fees were $500 a pot. Um, per week? Per week. Mm -hmm. um, flights varied, right, from 200 to 500, 600, all over, all over the country. Rental cars, same thing, varied depending on the size of the airport, how metropolis the city is. Um, and then if you made the cut, you got $300. If you won, you maybe got 10,000, but half of that goes to your caddy fees and everything. So you, it, it was just a really tough lifestyle out there. You could be winning and still be breaking even. Yep. For sure. That's so tough. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at last year's number one, um, ranked player on Epson and it's not even comparable. I mean, not that I, I make much in my current job, but it's 
it's less than than what I'm making at my company right now. It's like, man, I'm so glad I quit. Gosh. Plus plus the expenses. Yeah, for sure. The expense, the time, the investment, everything. So it's it's a tough life. Kudos to anyone who's out there. So how is someone supposed to make it as a pro if it's if it's a lost proposition to play golf? Like, how did they make it? How do they make it? Because we have a few girls that we play with from time to time that are struggling on the LPGA tour. And it is extremely, they are not making money. I think it's family wealth. It's family money. You know, honestly, if I had better support from my parents, I I probably might be still playing Hmm. quite honestly, but I I didn't have that. So I had to quit. Um, And I also wasn't happy and I wasn't in a very good spot, but um, you know, I actually had this conversation with Eric, you know, um, Eric is a big investor. He loves saving money. He's really good with money and just loves budgeting, loves budgeting, just obsessed with budgeting. And I really, really applaud him for that. I really appreciate him for that. Um, he has a spreadsheet for our win loss. He has a spreadsheet for everything. <laughs> we have every purchase we make. We have, to, we have a little tracker that I have to like, put in it. Anywho. The whole point is the conversation was, hey, what if our child wants to go pro? What metrics are we going to look at in order to really put in that investment? Because as we know, it's very expensive. And we said, I think college rankings is a huge thing. So top 10, if you're top 10 in college rankings, absolutely, we'll go ahead and support you. But the condition would be you have to get an internship every summer of, of your college career. Cause if golf doesn't work out, at least you have your internship and a really well stacked resume to go get a job. That, that was our number one thing. Number two, let's say they're blowing it out of the ballpark. They're number one. They're like the Jordan speed, Justin Thomas, and they don't even finish college or they're like, mom, dad, I want to just leave school. I don't think I'm going to be in support of that quite honestly, but it's, I have a theory that it's different for boys and girls. Boys have their peaks and they really have to be supported to go out and and really do their thing. I think girls come from time. So I've seen girls or from from time in history. So if you were a really good golfer in high school and in college, you're set up for success to be successful on tour as well. Whereas guys, you know, you don't have to be great in high school. You can go to a mediocre college like Dustin Johnson. He went to like, coastal Carolina like no one knows about that school but he's DJ now right so I think it I I hate to put a double standard but I think it's gonna vary on on different things but you have girls like Michelle Wee who obviously extremely successful as a young golfer decided she's gonna go to Stanford and never really did well after Stanford Yeah, you know maybe she would have been better if she just kept on going yeah, maybe. I, I mean, she's super proud of going to Stanford, and I applaud her for that too. I think. And she married an extremely wealthy guy, so that doesn't yeah. hurt. Yeah, for sure. His, <laughs> her father-in-law is Jerry West. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> so like that didn't work out horribly for her. No, it didn't work out. It worked out great for her. Um, but she's not really a golfer anymore. She's tried to come out a few times, but. She's, we don't see much of her. She's more of like a, a like a media influence in golf now, which is great. I feel like it definitely fits her personality. Um, but we thought she'd be the best woman golfer ever. Yeah. And she was playing tournaments with the men at like 15 or 16 years old. And we're like, whoa. And she's driving the ball 310 yards. Yeah. And then kind of college happened. 
Yeah, I mean, are you implying that you're not going to send Joe to college? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what the answer is, you know? Uh, I'm just trying to look at all the different angles to get an idea of how... If I want to start her golf early, but if she didn't become a pro-pro, I would be okay with that. Yeah. But I think it's a good foundation, mm-hmm. right? Because after your time, uh, one year on the Epson tour, now you work for a big accounting firm and you are doing very well and you're relatively happy in life. You don't play as much golf as you used to. Mm-mm. I golf in nice weather and temperatures and that's a very slim window in Georgia between fall and spring. You golf when it's 65 to 75. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> I deserve <laughs> Although that. Although I've seen you out there at 58 before. And in warmer temperatures too, yes, for sure. But, you know, just going back to like Joa and like sending her to school and right, same the same for me too. If we have like, once we have children, um, I wouldn't expect them to go pro. I think, and again, this is going back to the realities of being a woman in sports. Women's golf is just light years behind than men's golf. And if my daughter came to me and said, hey, mom, I'm top 10. I have an internship. I'm ready to graduate, but I really want to go pro. I would really sit her down and be like, hey, what do you want in life? Do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? Do you, you know, want your own house and a closet full of clothes? Or do you want to live out of a car, out of a suitcase, jumping from hotel to hotel or host families to host families? That's an honest question that I would ask her. If it was a sign, again, I, I hate the whole double standard thing, but, you know, if they were really good, top 10, you know, internship, you know, checks off everything that we have for the, for him and he's really good, then I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Give it a try. Because the upside is so much bigger for the men. Exactly. Where it's worth that little bit of risk. Right. And if it doesn't work out, you can always be the really good golfer at a company, which people right. will always hire the guys. Right. Same for girls too. If you're if you're a good golfer, I get I'm I'm known at my company as oh you're that professional golfer. Yeah. I'm like I was. I'm an amateur golfer now, but it's it's a really good you know thing to have. They all want you on their scramble team for sure. Yeah, <laughs> right? for sure. It's a big advantage. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's definitely um, it, it it really does suck to be a girl and, and woman in sports just because of the whole pay discrepancy and everything there too. Um, so you just got to be honest with with the whole with the whole thing, too. So you guys have you and Eric, I'm sure, have run the numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course he did. Once graduate, once your daughter or son graduates college to get them to possibly the next level, how much would you have to save from now until then? I think that's definitely a better question for Eric, <laughs> the finance guy. Um I, I don't think we even have that approximate number. What? Well, we don't even well, have a child right now. <laughs> no, now we have a weekend project for him. Probably. No, but we, we... I need him to do the math. He made me pull up daycare numbers for him so he can plan like daycare once, you know, my maternity leave from my company is over. I don't think we're there at the... At the and you're call. not expecting anything yet. No. Still already thinking that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, so if we can ask Eric to run the numbers... And from 22, say 24, to give two or three, 24, 22, 25, to give three solid years to become an, have an opportunity to go pro 
and not have to worry about money so that they can focus on yeah because what you're saying is the worrying about the money in your first year being a pro was really the hardest part of it. so hard and if you didn't have to worry about it maybe your career would have been longer Mm -hmm. maybe you'd still be playing today yeah i think so so if i need to save Mm -hmm. for my daughter (laughs) to have that opportunity yeah how much would i need to save that's because you have to save say 30 to 50 grand a year for junior golf Mm -hmm. hopefully college golf is kind of when you can catch up catch back up right and then after college golf and then there was no nil you didn't have the likeness deals before no now there are now there are yeah but i honestly don't think i would have liked to to be in this era of like putting myself out there on social media and like doing advertisements and stuff i don't know how i'd feel feel about that right i see girls doing it now i'm like all power to to them but i just i i don't think i could do it it's a lot it's another layer of pressure a layer another layer of something to think about more eyes more other than just golf yeah but if it will fund your golf i guess there's a give and take yeah i don't know i don't know if i'd want my my daughter or my son to to do that i mean maybe like a picture with a water bottle and be Mm. like yeah stay hydrated right and then hashtag ad cool but i wouldn't want them to be doing anything more than that but what if it funded their journey to becoming a pro that's a tough question i don't know um yeah i mean i think because some of these guys and girls they're making a lot of money they're getting their tournament fees paid their travel expenses paid but how good are they actually though that's the thing it's like it's either one or the other for me either you're going to be an influencer on instagram and social media and be the brand ambassador for xyz company or you're just focusing on golf but that's again that's my mindset of how i grew up so i don't know if there's a good compromise between both but you know i'm pretty sure Jordan Spieth and JT and all the other guys and even the girls that are playing out there aren't, I mean, they're probably promoting their sponsors, but they're not doing the whole dance. Yeah. Cause they can golf. Yeah. Cause they can golf. So being a good golfer trumps all. Yes. <laughs> I think if you're a good golfer, you don't have to do the unnecessary small little things like that. But what if you're a marginal golfer? Then don't become a professional golfer. <laughs> because there are so many people, you know, even on the PGA Tour, the top 25 guys make all the money. Mm-hmm. And from 26 to 100, I mean, to be a PGA pro and be number 49 in the world means you're a damn good golfer. Mm-hmm. better, Best golfer you've ever seen in your life on any given day. But those guys are barely making money, which is crazy. It's so difficult to make money in golf. Even the girls. If you're not a top 10 girl golfer, there's very little money in golf. Mm-hmm. But yet you still would like your kids to become pro golfers. I know. Um, I'm not, I don't want them to. If they want to, sure, I'll support it. We just got to have that honest conversation. Yeah. I'm not going to predestine them to be a professional golfer. But if you get-go. start them at golf at two years old and three years old, you may not be saying it, but... You're thinking it. Otherwise, why would you start them at golf at two or three years? Because I want them to go to college with golf. <laughs> they and they use could go to college sport. at golf starting at ten. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you start them at two because you think there's a chance that me could become a pro. I mean, <laughs> like, 
it, and it's it, so competitive out there with the junior golfers. Because yeah. I was at, over Christmas time, I was at Doral in Miami for my cousin's wedding. And there was a junior golf tournament going on that weekend. And they were playing uh, They were playing on the course. And, you know, the parents are there carrying the bags and in the golf carts and following around. And it was in Miami Christmas week. It couldn't have been cheap to have all those people out there. Yeah. They probably spent, I mean, Miami was crazy expensive that week, Christmas week in Miami. All those people were there giving up their entire holidays for this tournament, for this one tournament to follow them around. And, uh, and it was pouring and parents sitting there holding the umbrellas for their kid. Cause you know, God forbid your, your 10 year old gets wet, (laughs) right? It's life. That's another memory, like a core memory in my mind, Matt was I, there's a Christmas tournament every year in Arizona. It's called the silver bell, silver bell championship. I think it still, still happens to this day. It's like, the 27th to the 30th. It's like a three-day tournament, but it's two days after Christmas. And I remember my dad and I driving to Arizona Christmas Day. And it was so shitty. I just like never had a core memory of Christmas after I was like five years old, honestly. So as a kid, you know, if I ever eventually become a mom, right, and my kid has a tournament that falls in between that Christmas week, I'm not taking them to that. But it's such a big tournament because what if you wanted to go and your dad was like, all right, we're not going to go this Christmas. You might have been like, but all my friends are going to be there. All my competitors are going to be there. I can't miss this tournament because that almost becomes a part of who you are. Now you're mad at him for not taking you on the tournament. I don't don't think I would have had that thought. No. You know, it's, it's funny because I used to hate competing so much where I remember in a tournament I was tied for the lead um, and I had to make a three footer to go to playoff. I didn't want to go to playoff. So I intentionally missed it What? because I didn't want to go on a playoff because yeah. I hated just like the pressure and competing. Uh. And it, it was, I don't, again, I don't know if it's cause this, there was this pressure that my parents put on me, but it was something that was like, deeply rooted that I didn't want to go on a play. It, it was weird. And I don't know if it's cause I was, you know, I wanted to go home. It was cold. I, you know, I was just like so over it, but I remember like intentionally missing a putt cause I didn't want to go to a playoff. Do you think that was more getting back at your parents? I think it was me just giving up honestly. Cause I think I, I immediately thought, well, even if I go to playoff, I'm going to lose anyways and I'm still going to get yelled at. So I might as well just not play the extra holes and lose right now. So that I still get yelled at and, and get it done over, get it done earlier with. Because you were such an accomplished junior golfer and to think, have those thoughts, where does that come from? My dad yelling. So don't yell Matt. <laughs> and I, and I say Don't I'm yell. not going to, but it's not easy. I know. You know. I see myself yelling at my dog, my poor little puppy. Like, what does she know? And I'm still yelling at her. Yeah, yeah it's it's crazy. I think it really stemmed from fear of my parents, my dad. Again, we have a good relationship now. No, no harm, no foul to my dad now. But it was just just out of pure. I was just really scared of my parents. And I don't know if I really, I don't know how you think of that, but like, do you, you know how they say, well, you know, when your kids are up until they're 18, you're their parent, right? And you got to make sure that they are, they understand you as a parent. 
But then I also see other families where they're friends with their kids, right? So it's it's weird. There's like this balance of power and, and respect and all these things. All these things I think about on a regular basis right now. Right? But I lost a lot of respect for my dad because he was so hard on me. That's why I didn't talk to him for two years. So, But you came back. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's now, like is, is that your is that your excuse? Well, I'll yell at you now. You know? You'll you'll come back. <laughs> you know, but you came back and you ended up being very successful and you found a nice career and you married an amazing guy, and you know, like your life turned out pretty good, you know. And I'm sure as everyone, things can always be better, but you know, from a large picture kind of view, like you did all right. So. I did something right, right? And he's thinking maybe I did something right. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Um, it's not easy to find that balance between pushing too much versus being too accepting and too open and leaving, you know, leaving a free-for-all for your kids, right? Yeah. It's it's interesting, Matt, because the other week I was getting lunch with my parents or dinner with my parents. My parents said, you know, we're really sorry. We, we weren't. Really? Yeah. They apologized. Aww. And that was just so... It was like... It, hurt my it like made my heart ache because you know they did everything that they could but I think they truly saw the talent in me but they just felt really sorry that they couldn't support me any further just because they had to live their life too right and it's just such an expensive investment to continue to do for your 26 year old daughter like that's that's a lot of money over a long period of time but they apologize and that was like man shoot like yeah that is that's tough because my mom my mom was also like after that she was like you know i see these girls out there these are girls that you played junior golf with and you've beaten them before and it's you know that could be you i'm like well yeah but do i really want to be out there right now because a lot of the girls that you grew up playing with are out there on tour right yeah, now. yeah all all the girls that you see on the lpga are girls that i, I played junior golf with like who Allison Lee, Annie Park, um, Kristen Gilman, um, Hannah Green. We were in China together. Um, who else? Lily Avu, who just recently won. Just won. Just won. Hannah Green just won too. Um, Sophia Schubert. There's I can, the list goes on. But these are girls that I went to Q school with, right? And I I went through Epson tour with together too. So I see these girls, I'm like, man, like I actually have beaten them before. I think I could totally do it again. Obviously not now, but if I just had the right time and resources, I, I definitely think I could have done it. But again, if I chose that route, I wouldn't have met Eric. I wouldn't have, I never would have met you. I never would have joined Berkeley Hills or Country Club. Right? Like there was, there's nothing that, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> okay, crazy question. Would you ever consider trying again so i got my amateur status back last year correct um, but it's something you can give and take away but right um if i wanted to get my pro status back i just need to get the money and call myself a pro right um eric and i joke i say oh maybe if a u.s open spot is like in a really cool spot maybe i'll try to qualify for it um so this year it's at pebble beach and i'm like should i do it yeah should i not yeah i'll practice with you <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 
I'll it really depends on like, <laughs> please don't yell <laughs> that's what you need i'll sit there and yell at you so it, it'll depend on the site it'll depend on the caliber of the tournament it also depends on am i actually really good enough to actually make the qualifier i don't think right now because i'm not practicing at all so it depends we we literally live less than a par five away from the first tee mm-hmm. you could play every day if you wanted to I could. You could practice every day. If you, you could do three hours a day again. So I told Eric that I was like, maybe I should start practicing more consistently. And you w- wouldn't believe the f- like the smile on his face. He was like, really? You'd be out on the golf course with me? Uh, he, he loves golf. He is loves obsessed golf. with golf. Loves I golf. joke with him and I say, you married me because I'm a golfer. Yes, right? it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, like, Eric, you want to play? Yes. Yeah, he's like, he's 100% yes. He's the yes man for golf. Uh Um, No, he's obsessed with golf and he... He's a very good golfer. He's a good golfer. So he, it's, it's so Eric wanted, so we were watching Eric's like old baby home videos. His dad recorded everything. It was really, really sweet. And his parents gifted him like a tailor-made hat and Eric was like, oh my gosh, this is what Sergio Garcia wore. It was so cute. And then like the next Christmas, he got a set of golf clubs. So he was always like into golf. And I asked him, I was like, why didn't you ever play golf even in high school? He said his dad didn't let him because golf just took too much of too, too much time. Right. And his dad was always working and wanted him to play tennis. Um, so Eric was like, man, if I just golfed more seriously as a kid and my parents invested in me and totally could be out there. I'm like you and all the other <laughs> 5 million men out there in the world think that. think that, but you know, maybe, I mean, there's always a what if, right? Yeah. If his parents did invest in him at an early, at an early age and really did nurture and push him towards that, maybe he would be on the PGA and I could be a PGA wife. I don't know. He's like, he would know. be like Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean, who is also a Northwestern guy? Yeah, for he'd sure. He'd be like him, calculating yeah. everything, writing on logging every single shot he's ever taken. Probably, he would probably do something on Excel to analyze <laughs> something. But Eric's also not a tall guy. Mm. He's five. He he calls himself five eight in shoes, and like that's very generous of you. But um, you know, all these guys on tour aren't big either. They're they're small. They're short. Yeah, Xander Shoffley, not a tall guy. JT. Colin Morikawa, not a tall guy. Rory, not a tall guy. No, it's surprising standing next to them. Yeah, because like DJ's tall guy, and a few of them are big, but a lot of these elite golfers are not. When I go out there and stand next to them, I'm like wow, I can't believe how short they are. I Billy Horschel, these guys like this, you know. <laughs> and then I think, like, how the hell did they hit it so damn far? Yeah. When they're not big guys, it's all speed. It's all speed. It's all flexibility. They're like rubber bands. They just snap back. Um, so that also gives Eric false hope. I'm like, well, if, you know, we ever have a son and he turns out to be short like me, <laughs> well, Rory's short. So he, he'll have a chance but you're out tall. there. I'm tall. Yeah. I'm taller than my husband, by the way. But <laughs> um, yeah, he's Eric. Eric's on the other side of, you know, his parents did invest in him. My parents invested everything for me. So we're hoping we can find a happy medium between, you know, how we raise our kids and the different styles that we grew up with with our families too. Okay, then as a closing remark, you would allow and you would encourage your children or future children to play junior golf. 
you want me to speak to them or like say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to your future children who may one day watch this episode. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because it's possible. You know, the internet's the internet these days, right? No, nothing ever disappears. And they're going to be like, okay, mom is just yelled at me because I'm not practicing enough because you say you won't, but you probably will because you are your father's daughter. And when they feel kind of frustrated or mad or maybe feel like mom is being too hard on them, maybe a word to them now that they can go back to later. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say it's all in good intentions. You know, I only want what's best for you and what I think is going to set you up for success. Um, you know, of course, I would also say sorry if I was too hard on them too. But I think every time you look back on any experience, any memory, it's always with good intentions. Um, and that's just what I learned from my parents too. Yes, I hated them to their guts as I was growing up as a kid, but it was all with good intentions. They really wanted to set me up for success and look how I turned out. I think I have a pretty good life for it. So hopefully with my disciplining skills on my future children. I hope it also, you know, makes them be reflective and also it, it motivates them to be hard workers, whether that's on the golf course, in school, in life, whatever it is. But I, I, I hope they're golfing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> golfing on the golf course. So if you go to a U.S. Open qualifier, will you be under Hannah Kim or Hannah Gomash? Gomash. Hannah Gomash. Oh, my, my name has legally changed yeah. now. So Hannah, sure. Hannah, I dropped the Kim, which is really like, it actually hurt my identity uh, a lot because obviously I'm like not white at all. I'm yeah. very much so Korean. Um, so I'll definitely go by Hannah Gomash. One day we'll hopefully see you on the leaderboard at the U.S. Open. Thanks, Hannah, Matt. thank you for coming out today. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> What'd you think? That was fun. That was fun. That was good. We went wild. <laughs>